Turn, if you would, to John chapter 8. And um, I want to share a message entitled, Being an Overcomer in a Perverse World. Because that's who you are. You are overcomers if he is in you. And have you noticed we live in a really weird world? We live in a perverse world. We live in a world that's upside down. And, you know, we might think, well, it's never been like this before. It's never been this crazy. But yet Yeshua came into the world at a very chaotic time. We were talking about the, you know, the Hanukkah story of the last few weeks. And Yeshua came, Emmanuel, God with us, at a time when there had been 400 years, I wouldn't say silence because God was speaking to people, but 400 year period between the prophets and Yeshua's coming. And so many things were happening. And there was some craziness going on. There was a lot of violence and upheaval in Yeshua's time. In, in John chapter 8, we see how Yeshua interacted with this. And it's a lesson for all of us. So in um, John chapter 8, starting in verse 12, I'm going to read through verse 23. And let me give you a little bit of a context here. He's in Jerusalem. He's at the, the temple complex there. And just before these verses, he has a confrontation with the Torah teachers and the Pharisees about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And you all know that story. She's, they're brought, they bring her to Yeshua. And basically say, this is what the law, this is what the Torah says should be done to this woman. What do you say, Yeshua? It was a trap that they set for him. And you remember what he did? He knelt down on the ground and he wrote. We don't know what he wrote. You've probably heard messages about what he wrote. He wrote this, he wrote that. We don't know what he wrote. But what it was, it caused something to happen in the people that were watching him, and they began to walk away. And then he said, you know, where, where are your accusers, woman? And she said, they're all gone. And he said, well, then you're great. You have no problems. Nobody's accused you. That's not exactly what he said. He said, then I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. And I have a feeling because of that gaze that Yeshua gave to that woman, she was a changed woman after that encounter. And then he goes on starting in verse 12. Yeshua spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. We just celebrated Hanukkah, the light being in the world, the light, the menorah. The Hanukkah, the one who follows me will no longer walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If Yeshua is in you, you have the light of life in you. That's encouraging. Amen. Then the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. So your testimony is not valid. Yeshua answered them. See, they always wanted to enter into a religious argument with him. They wanted to debate controversial religious things and he spoke truth he answered them even if i test about 
testify about myself. My testimony is valid. For I know where I come from and where I am going. Do you? Do you know where you come from, where you're going? But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, but I do not judge anyone. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. Because it is not, alone, it is not, not I alone, but I with the Father who sent me. Even in your Torah, it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am one witness for myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness for me. Then they said to him, Where is your father? Yeshua answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would also know my father. He spoke these words in the treasury while teaching in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Then again, Yeshua spoke to them, I am going away. You will look for me and die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. He won't kill himself, will he? The Judeans asked. They had no clue what he was talking about. Is that why, is that why he says, where I am going, you cannot come? Verse 23, Yeshua said, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. An incredible encounter that Yeshua had with the Torah teachers. An encounter between kingdom truth and corrupted religion. Because by this time, the religious hierarchy had become corrupted. They put more emphasis on their traditions and on doing certain things than actually walking in truth and love. The religious, the religious leaders of his day had become harsh as they had with that woman caught in adultery, judgmental, rigid, entrenched in their traditions, dull in hearing the Spirit of God. You know, as we were worshiping, I was looking out here, and the wind is really blowing today, and I love to see the wind blow up here. The wind is blowing. That's the Ruach is blowing. And even in the midst of this crazy year, the Spirit is moving. He is blowing. Are we hearing what he's saying? Today, as in that day, there are demonic principalities of perversion that have attached themselves to the body of Messiah. And I want to share this message today. It's not an easy message, but it's a message that I believe the Lord is speaking to his bride. Everything that has happened this year, from COVID to shutdowns to financial crisis to all the craziness of the elections, I believe God is saying, bride, I want you to awaken to what I am speaking. Don't put your trust in any of these things that are going on. It may look dark and it may look really discouraging to you, but do not put your trust and hope in those things. As a matter of fact, I wrote this down. Do not judge what God is doing by what you see or don't see in the natural realm. It is so important to hold on to that truth during these days. There is a, an unleashing of demonic principalities at work in the world today. But take hope and peace because we are not of the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Why is this happening? Why are these demonic principles attaching themselves to the body of Messiah? There's a variety of reasons. 
First of all, I believe that we've been in a culture war for decades. We see it today raising its head in the whole thing with the LGBTQ agenda. It is huge. Even questioning our gender. Not just that, but there's a whole the political rift between the right and the left in the cancel culture. Cancel culture. If you don't believe the way I believe, then you can't work. You're, you are a bad person. That's basically what cancel, cancel culture is. Also, and this, is, this, is, this plays into it, there's an explosion of social media, which, you know, it could be used in really good ways. We take advantage of live streaming. It's powerful. We can reach people all over the world. And there's some powerful good things that come out of social media. But it, it's also increased a sense of anonymity in people. There's, I call it the middle earth of the body of Messiah, where there is all kinds of craziness on the social media platforms today. And you can be anonymous. You can say, do, believe, whatever you want. And nobody will know who you are. All of this is going on today. And amidst that, we see the disintegration of the nuclear, the biblical model of family being torn apart. We don't even know what normal is, family. You know, I had an opportunity to be with family this week. And... You know, I always see this as family ranges anywhere from the Cleaver family, for those of you who grew up in the 50s and 60s, where you have Wally and the Beeve and Ward and June Cleaver. How many of you wanted your family to be like the Cleaver family? Okay, how many of your families were like the Cleaver family? And then the other extreme is you have the Manson family. You know, so somewhere we're in between. Okay, every family is like that. The breakdown of the family. We don't even know what normal is anymore. All of this is taking place. And in the midst of all of this breakdown of, in our culture that we're experiencing, there's a lack of connection, real connection with one another. And that's why it was so important what Linda said and what Russ confirmed is you don't have to be an evangelist. If the light of... Yeshua is living in you. You could just go and say, hey, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? You know, just start a conversation with, well, I would say at the waitress at the restaurant, but there are no restaurants open. But wherever you go, um, you have opportunity to connect with people, and people are dying for connection. You know that during this shutdown, one of the things you don't hear a whole lot about is the family crises that are going on, the, the suicide attempts, the drug addictions, because people are not connecting with one another. It's huge. And I really believe, and I believe this, this is why I'm sharing these messages over the last weeks and will continue for the next several weeks, is that the Lord is releasing a cleansing judgment, a cleansing judgment upon his house. He says, for my people have worshipped things I have not called them to worship. So whatever is going on around us today, let's take it as we are in the body of Messiah. What is God speaking to us? Why is he doing this? Because he wants a consecrated bride. He wants a consecrated bride. Are we okay? Everything okay out there? Okay. 
He wants a consecrated bride, a committed bride to him without any false lovers. It's not a time to point fingers. I mean, we can all point fingers at one another, but we need to ask a question is, how have I contributed to what's going on in the body of Messiah today? I know this may seem like a, a heavy, but there's enough point, fingers being pointed. I remember during the 80s, and, and I was a new believer, and, and uh, I was excited about things, and it was, it was the season, it was the time of the televangelists, and then they began to fall, one at a time, and everybody began to point fingers at, every, at all of these people, and then the ministries that were involved, and everybody, everybody in, the bo- in the body was pointing fingers. It was like a, a circular firing squad aimed at each other. God doesn't want us to do that. It's not a time for pointing fingers, but asking, how have I contributed to that? And what do I need to do? I ask a question, was my commitment, I got really involved with what was going on with the elections this year. All of us did. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we believed certain things, you know? We heard messages, we heard prophetic words. But I have to ask myself, was my commitment to a certain political outcome greater than my love for the lost. It doesn't have to be the same, but I just, God is saying, there's a dying world out there. Yes, I was disappointed in the outcome. Some will say it's not over yet. I don't know. But there are still lost souls out there who need to hear a word from us, who need to hear a word of encouragement from us. In these last days, he's dealing with idol worship in the body of Messiah. Idol worship, and you say, well, we don't set up idols in our congregation. Well, I should take, you know, this is, okay, put put that aside. (laughs) We don't set up idols. You say, "I I don't have idols in my life, but we have. We've set up idols. And God wants to deal with them. He wants to tear them down. He wants us to tear those idols down. Not just men, but ministries. But there's also other idols that we've made in this culture. Addictions. Pornography has become an idol to so many men. I was reading something that 50% of those in ministry are involved with pornography once or twice at least a month. It's huge. It's huge. It's become an idol. So what is happening? God wants to get our attention to value purity and intimacy more than anything else. Purity and intimacy with him more than anything else. Because out of that intimacy and desire for his presence, as Kent was talking about the tzaddik and and the, the mercy seat and going into that holy of holies, that place of his presence, out of that place of desiring intimacy with the righteous one, a love for others will grow. A desire to see them saved will grow. You know, I'm so fortunate. You know, like I said, like I said my, my sister passed away last week. And um, see, I had, I had expectations back before Thanksgiving. I said, I want the whole family, what's left of the family, to come together and celebrate Thanksgiving. It may be my, la- my sister's last Thanksgiving. So we went over there, and I want to just share this. We, you know, my, her son, my nephew, 
he's like my little brother because, you know, he lived with us when he was born. And, and he's very close to, to us. And they had a, a breaking away, him and his mom. They were estranged from each other for several years. And we, especially Millie, would all, <laughs> I believe, she would send texts to him all the time. You need to forgive. You need to forgive. You need to forgive. We would call him and say, you know, yeah, David, we understand what happened. It's very hurtful. But forgive. Forgive. She's your mom. Family. You can't choose your family. God sets us in families. Well, anyways, we all got together for Thanksgiving. Unfortunately, she was not able to, to be with us because she was in the hospital. But they reconciled during that time. And it was so, so needed and so powerful. And then he came. He arrived Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening, early evening, I think it was. And he was able to go in to see his mom. She was still alive. And he said, Mom, I love you. And Natalie, his daughter, my sister's granddaughter, he says, Natalie loves you too. We love you. And, and he held his hand, held her hand. And then he said, you know, I, I just arrived and I've been I'm going to go down and get a bite to eat and I'll be right back. And he's, he noticed that when he had said those things that she had been kind of in and out of consciousness, but she responded to him. And when he came back up, she was gone. She was gone. But he felt like he had closure with her. And I believe she felt like she had closure with him. I'm just saying all that because family is important. Reconciling, forgiveness, extending forgiveness, receiving somebody's forgiveness are so important in these days. That connection. And, you know, we prayed for her salvation. And I believe that she had an encounter with the Lord. I, I don't know. I just believe that she did. As a matter of fact, somebody had a dream or a vision about her singing with the angel choirs. What they didn't know was my sister had a beautiful voice, and she sang for f almost 50 years in the choir at her synagogue. So I really believe something happened. And this person didn't know any of that. Who was that person anyways? Karuna's son, that's right. Had this vision. Know nothing about it. But she was part of the Hasharim, which is the, the singers, the choir at her temple since 1973. I grew up with her singing all the time. Matter of fact, I love music mainly because of my sister. She didn't know this, but she had all these albums. I'm talking about the early 60s. and They'd all go off to school and work, and then I would be the only one home, and I started playing her albums, and I'd be singing to her, you know, to her music. She knew every song from the 60s, word for word, basically. Oh, come let us adore him. So I really believe that because of prayer from people that she she had that she had that experience i really believe that but getting back to my message here as a leader i have to measure what i do the success of 
of my ministry or whatever we do here at Or Chaim based on Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 23. It says, they will teach my people the difference between the holy and the common and explain to them the difference between the unclean and the clean. In other words, our role, my role in ministry, all of our role is to tell people the difference between holy and common. The unclean and clean, to let people know the truth of God's word. There's a call to holiness that God is releasing on planet Earth today. It's not just a, an aspirational thing, but attainable. Holiness is not, I used to have this view of holy is that somebody who never sinned, was perfect in all their ways, went to every meeting there was, and just was just Oh, you just walked into their presence and something. No, holy just means set apart. Set apart. We use that word sanctified. It's being set apart unto him. It's realizing that we are the bride to the bridegroom. It's, being, it's not something that, oh, it may happen when we are with him face to face. That's aspirational. No, it's attainable. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. So brace your minds for action. Keep your balance, and this is a word for us today, and set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. Set your hope on the grace that he will bring to you. That's what I say, you know, we want instant God. I prayed this. It didn't happen right away. You must not be, you must be sleeping or something. God, what's going on? But put your hope in him and wait for his revelation of what Yeshua into that situation you're in. Reading on, it says, like obedient children, do not be shaped by the cravings you had formerly in your ignorance. Instead, just like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in everything you do. Don't do what you used to do back in the day. God's called you out of that. There's freedom available when we run to and cling to the Father's love. But it requires us to run to him and to cling to him and to open our hearts to him and ask for that cleansing wind to come, the ruach to come and blow away all of the chaff in our lives. Yeshua at the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are those, in Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Are we hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Or are we just wanting to survive through the day? He wants us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for him, for more of him. And then it says, he says, you will be satisfied. You will be satisfied. Later on in Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How many of you are honestly wearied from this year? I am. I got to the point, I'm just like, nothing else this year. Just, I just want to sleep, get through this year. And we're all kind of looking at our watch it, our calendars are going, okay, we got how many more days to the end of the year? Suddenly, December 31st at midnight, all of this is going to be gone, right? And everything will be, no. 
But whatever, I know in my weariness, and I'm learning something this year, in my weariness and my discouragement, I'm running to the Lord more than I ever did before. And that's the key, guys. That's what we need to do. That's how we become overcomers in a in a world that's turned upside down, is we keep running to him and being fed, being encouraged by him in his word, in, his, in, in worship. But we have to take those steps and run towards him. Also look at our lives and do we have a trivial attitude towards sin? You know, I want to share a little, just a few minutes about Ahab. You all know about King Ahab. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30. But Ahab, Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in Adonai's eyes, more than all who were before him. Now, as if it was a trifling thing to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, he also took his wife Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbal, of the Sidonians and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Trivial attitude towards sin is what Ahab had. Trivial defined is little value or importance. In other words, it doesn't matter what I do. I can do whatever I want. And yet, one of the things that hopefully that the bride of Messiah is being waken up to is the preaching of the cross. It's the place of exchange where we realize that at the cross, he took all of our sins away, past, present, and future. But we have to apply that cross to our lives. I'm not saying we can achieve sinless perfection, but I'm saying it's that sin is serious. And God wants us to deal with those areas in our lives. Getting back to Ahab, he was more wicked than previous leaders. And there were some wicked kings. His approach to sin was careless and casual. Careless and casual. And this should be a wake-up call to the body of Messiah today that our, our attitude towards sin should never be careless and casual. Because it doesn't just affect us in our relationship with the Lord, but it also affects others. It opens the door to perversion, all kinds of perversion. In verse 32 of 1 Kings 16, it says, He also erected an altar for Baal and worshipped him. You see, when we turn from God and when we sin and we do it unabashedly, unashamedly sinning, it produces unrighteous affections in our heart, and it opens up a demonic gate in our lives that affects us and it affects others. It comes in and it to enter, to rule, and to ruin us. He set up an altar to Baal. Of course, we don't set up altars today, but yes, there are altars. Baal, who is Baal? He was the, the fertility deity. And the practice of sexual promiscuity, homosexuality, child sacrifice, pantheism. Pantheism is the worship of the creation over the creator. And they did this in order to bring about prosperity and fruitfulness. But let me ask you a question. What does God promise when we walk in his ways? 
prosperity and fruitfulness. But they turn to their bales. They turn to their idols. And today we see that worked out in reproductive freedom. We don't call it abortion. They don't call it abortion. It's reproductive freedom. It's choice. It's women's health. All of these things have been opened up. Talk about idolatry. Talk about Baal worship. There it is. And it goes to others. In verse 34 of that same chapter, it says, During his days, during Ahab's days, Hael of Bethel rebuilt Jericho at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn. He laid its foundations. And at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates, according to the word of Adonai, which he had spoken through Joshua, son of Nun. What kind of man would intentionally do something that cost his own sons? And yet that's the kind of evil that was in the world then. One generation's compromise becomes another generation's captivity. But you know, we as covenant men and women, we can break those curses in our lives and in our families in this nation. I really believe, and this has been a test of us as, you know, we've prayed a lot against the sin of abortion for this nation. Let's not give up. Not just in the sin of abortion, but homosexuality and all of these things. It's discouraging when you see, you know, well, wait a minute, it didn't work out like I thought it would. Don't give up. We as covenant men and women, we need to stand in the gap for this nation and for our families. We are the ones to be doing that. We are the priests. We're called to a priesthood. So how do we do this? Repentance. True repentance. It's not just a change of mind. See, that's how we've defined repentance is to change your thinking. And that's part of it. But the word I want to put up there, metanoia, metanoia. Metanoia. Basically, it means turn right about and do it now. In other words, turn about your whole body, mind, soul, and emotions, and do it now. In other words, it's an imperative command, metanoia. It's time-sensitive. Do it now. Don't waste time. Don't think about it. Don't analyze it. Change now. See, in the New Testament... That word, that Greek word metanoia, means decision by the whole man to completely turn his life around. It's a lifestyle change. It's not a, just a change in how we think. It's a lifestyle change. And you see, when we do that, when we change our lifestyle, we have the ability through the Lord, through the grace of the Lord, to demolish the strongholds of sin in our life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you would, in verse 3, in Wendy, in worship, get ready for some worship. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but powerful through God for the tearing down of strep strongholds. 
You get a thought in your mind. You get a thought. Do you go with that thought? No, we have the ability to tear down those strongholds. It says we are tearing down false arguments in every high-minded thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And there are so many things that are coming against the knowledge of God today. It goes on, we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Messiah. That's how we consecrate ourselves to the Lord. That's how we set ourselves as being holy, set apart from the things of the world, is every thought, everything that, that comes to us is, what are we doing with that? Are we taking it captive and bringing it in obedience to Messiah? Strongholds of sin need to be demolished in our lives. And I'm talking about, I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about the body of Messiah. Not even talking about the world. They need salvation. They need to hear about Yeshua. But I'm talking about sin that is rampant in the body of Messiah that God is saying, I want you to deal with it. Judgment begins in the house of God. He's getting our attention. Deal with these things because he wants to release his glory in a powerful way. But he can't release his glory if we are worshiping Baals, idols, with this crud in our lives, God is saying, get rid of those things so I can give you more of my presence. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying to all of us. As we turn to him, as we walk towards, walk in intimacy, hardened hearts are broken open. Matthew chapter 13, verse 15. Yeshua said, for this reason I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will never understand. You will keep looking, but will never see. For the heart of this people has become dull. Their ears can barely hear. And they have shut their eyes. Other ways they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts. Then they would turn back, and I would heal them. God wants to soften our hard hearts. The power of Satan needs to be loosed by the power of Yeshua's blood. The power in Yeshua's blood is so much more powerful than the lies of the enemy. Revelation chapter 7, verse 13. Would you stand with me? Revelation 7, 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these dressed in white robes? And where have they come from? I, just, I said to him, sir, you know. Then he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There's power, power, power in the, in the mighty blood, of, in the precious blood of the Lamb of Yeshua. Talks about a time yet to come, a tribulation. I don't know if we've entered into that. I don't know where we're at on the scale of time, but I do know that there's going to be a time 
where we're going to need to have our robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. Be ready for that. You know, I think this year is just a kind of a... I have hope for the future. But this was an awaken, a call to awaken the bride. If you think things are going to get easier as of January 1st, 2021, suddenly things are going to change and think so. I think right now there is a siphoning that God is sifting going on. There's a sifting going on that God is, is calling his children, his sons and daughters into that place of intimacy that no matter what happens, we will trust in the name of Yeshua and in the blood of Yeshua and that we will have our garments washed by the blood of Yeshua and that our minds will be transformed and renewed as we yield and submit to him and that we will take captive every thought, every lie, every scheme of the enemy that comes towards us and it will come to you. But we have the ability in Yeshua who lives in us to take captive every thought. That's what being holy is all about. That's what being consecrated is all about. The proof of genuine repentance is found in our actions, not in the words we speak, but in our actions. What I feel like I'm to do right now is just as we worship, as Wendy leads us in worship, I just really I want to ask Millie to join me. I just feel like we're to just invite you to come up and we just want to anoint you with oil. It's going to be an anointing of consecration, if you feel comfortable. That's up to you. But I just really sense that this is a, the oil is a, the oil of the, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. And as I, as you come up and I, we anoint you with oil, I'm going to pray that our spiritual ears, our spiritual eyes would be open. Because we're going to be needing to rely upon every word that comes out of his mouth. Every word that is written in his scriptures. Because everything in the world is going to be coming, is going to be in opposition to that. So we need to have that anointing of our ears and our eyes to be able to walk in his way. So I'm going to invite you up as we worship. And we just want to anoint you with oil. And then we'll close the service.